0: Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Bolton here. Welcome back to the Speak Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today for episode 355. We got a great show for you today that is going to be double the fun as we are going to be welcoming Andrew Davis and Mr. Michael Port. Both are repeat guests that we've had on the show. Excited to have them back with us today. So today we're going to be chatting with uh with Andrew and Michael about what it means to be a referable speaker. They have a, a brand new book out called The Referable Speaker, where uh, unpacks the steps to creating a long-lasting speaking career. And both of these guys really have a ton of experience with that, knows what it takes to build momentum, generate referrals in the speaking business. And they're going to show you how you can do this as well. So during our conversation today, we're also going to be unpacking why you need to focus on your content and some of the The biggest mistakes that speakers make when they are first starting out. Also, we're going to be talking about how to score stage side leads. And Michael and Andrew are going to explain not only what that is, how to do this, and also what today's meeting planners are looking for in speakers. There's a lot of great content here for everyone. I'm positive you're going to get a ton out of the episode. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation on how to become a referable speaker with Andrew Davis and Michael Port. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speak Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Uh, this may be one of the few times we've done this. We actually have two lovely gentlemen on the show today, two friends of the program who've been on individual in the past, I think, multiple times for both of you coming back on together to tag team today. We're talking with Michael Port from Heroic Public Speaking, as well as Andrew Davis. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Hey, hey, thanks for having us.
1: We're, we're really uh, excited about this one. We've been we've been looking forward to it all week.
0: This is going to be fun. So you guys actually, uh, one of the things we want to talk about today is you just have a new book come out that, you know, sometimes we talk to some people who have books come out and they're like, yeah, they're kind of four speakers sort of ish. But uh, this is spot on right down the middle, four speakers. The new book is called The Referrable Speaker. Uh, first of all, give us kind of a, we're going to dig into the weeds of the book and several different things we're going to talk about, about it, but give us kind of the overall premise of, of what is The referable Speaker? Both as a book and as a concept, <laughs> we both were like, "Who should take
2: that one? I'll take that one." So the referable speaker is is pretty straightforward, actually. Uh, the the idea is very, very simple. Uh, y- essentially, you trade some of the time that you usually spend marketing yourself as a speaker, and instead spend some of that time working on a speech that gets what we call stage side leads, which is, which is really hot, excited leads for a new gig. And if you do that enough, you actually need to do less and less marketing and uh, you have a sustainable speaking business. So the whole idea is to spend more time crafting a referable speech.
0: So I'm curious because uh, one of the things you, you kind of touched on there is there's always this this. Um, uh, uh kind of spectrum there on one end of the spectrum you have the 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 art of being a speaker on the other side of the, the spectrum you have the the business of, of being a speaker and so one thing we were talking a little bit about before we started recording is that speaking is very much a momentum business and you know one thing Michael you're you're known for saying is the more you speak the more you speak and so but uh, but it sometimes it can feel difficult to get the momentum going in the first place so Michael you got any thoughts there as far as like how do you get going because once you get going then again it creates this this flywheel effect, but when you're going from zero to to, I'm just trying to get my first gig or those first couple gigs, um, and I don't I don't I don't have a referrals speech because I don't even have a speech yet. I'm just trying to get a booking. So how do you start to build some of that momentum early on?
1: Sure. So uh, this is a this is something that everybody wrestles with at the beginning of their career, and one of the issues that I think newer speakers face is that they often See famous speakers, people who have been speaking for a long time, and you know they, they, they analyze how they market themselves. They look at their websites, they look at their best sellers, mm-hmm. they look at their social media profiles, and they think, "Oh, okay, well, you know if the biggest names in the business uh, market themselves this way, then I guess I should too." Right. The problem is is that you're now competing against somebody who's famous, and you're always going to lose that competition. Right. It's just not possible, and so when people ask, "How do you, you know, how do you get those first gigs? How do you start to build momentum?" Usually, it's well, you know, you just got to build your website, you got to get a great sizzle reel, you know, you got to, uh, 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 you know, launch social media profiles, maybe run some ads, uh, and you know, then you know, do lots of chicken dinner uh, speeches, uh, and you know, then eventually, you too will have a big, thriving uh, speaking career. But the fact of the matter is. That's not actually effective for people who don't already have some sort of big platform. And so in order to build momentum, you need to be delivering that speech Mm -hmm. as many times as you possibly can so that you can start to uh, generate stage side leads. And so you may uh, do it by inviting people. You You may actually hold a number of Uh, of your own small events that start to get people talking about it. You might call all the people that you know, who might have the ability to say, put you in front of a lunch and learn type audience, Mm -hmm. uh, which would start to build momentum. But it may take you six months to a year to produce a speech that actually consistently generates stage side leads so that when people say, what do you do for your marketing? You can say, well, I pick up the phone. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I don't actually need to do that much. Uh, so, but if you don't have a product that people want to see, if you don't have a product that people ask for, if you don't have a product that generates stage side leads, uh, then it's very, very hard to build momentum. And in, finally I'll say, it's really important to understand that when you're famous meeting planners first book you, then your idea and the speech, Mm -hmm. but when you're not famous, they book the speech and then you. So if you try to market yourself as if you're famous, try to prove that you're super, super credible, that's just uh, really, really hard. You've got to first work on that speech uh, so that it becomes a referable speech over time.
0: Is it possible, uh, Andrew, do you feel like it's possible for a speech to be referable from day one?
2: I mean, I've never experienced that, <laughs> but here's, here, here, let me, uh, uh, like if you take a step back for a second, there are two things you actually need to get to the point at which you're consistently getting stage side leads. And the first thing you need to do is make sure you're getting a stage side lead. Right? So, uh, f- for me, I work on a new speech every single year. Uh, and it's for me, it takes like 12, maybe 20 gigs before the speech consistently delivers three to four stage side leads every time. That means that I need to have high velocity of a number of gigs in a row with the new speech to constantly refine and tweak it to the point at which I get off stage and people are like, I got to get that speech. I want that speech at our event. They, 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 they see it and they want it. Right? So the, the key for someone just starting out, if you've never had a gig before The key is to get a high velocity of gigs in a short amount of time and constantly be refining your speech. And that's the, that for me, that's the, you know, the end goal. If you get to the point at which you do a lunch and learn for 10 people and one of those people comes up afterwards and says, I really like that. Like I'm a member of the marketing association here in town. We have a monthly event. Would you be willing to speak at that? Boom. You got another one. Like that's your first stage side lead. So you just got to keep m- moving that wheel faster and faster. But if you say, well, I'll, I'll try this speech this month and then I'll, you know, we'll see how it goes. And then I'll book a few more gigs after that. you're three, six, nine, 12 months away from actually having a referable speech. And it's the biggest mistake new speakers make is thinking, let's try this once and see how it goes. It's like, you got to have the speech, you know, the name, you know, the topic, you've worked hard on crafting what you think is going to be a great speech. Then you need to refine it as fast as possible. And the only metric I measure is am I getting stage side leads? Uh, One one last thing I was actually talking to Michael yesterday about this. Um, you know, the the more you do this, the more you start working on new speeches constantly, the more you'll realize it's easier and easier to get the first gigs. It's not one gig. You need a series of first gigs and so, you know, I have built up a relationship with event producers who can't afford me anymore, which is awesome problem to have. Right. But they're the first people I call when I've got a new speech, I got, I call them up. I say, I've got a new speech, you know, you know, you can't afford me anywhere more, but do you have an event where you're willing to take a risk with a brand new speech of mine? And they know that the track record's there. Right. But when you're starting out, it's the same thing. Make those phone calls to get great people to invite you to just speak somewhere once so that you're doing five, six, seven gigs in a month. And you'll have a better understanding as to where you, fit on the referable speech spectrum. If, there, if, if I can call it that.
0: <laughs> you can, that's going to be in part two of the book. Uh, so, right. <laughs> one of the, so one thing that we all, uh, you know, that we all understand is that that uh, whenever you're creating a talk, you're making an educated guess. I think this is funny. I think this will make sense. I think this will resonate, but you don't necessarily know until you get in front of an audience. And so when you, you get in front of that audience, like you said, and, and you talk about this analogy uh, in the book, it's kind of like a comedian. You know, we watch a Netflix special and we think, oh, they just, you know, you, if you didn't know any better, you'd assume like they just, you know, hop up there and they they're funny they just it's coming off the top of their head and the reality is they've done that time and time and time and time again in in small clubs and small venues and bomb to bomb to bomb until finally they start to mine for some of the gold and it starts to work and it starts to click so do you feel like When you're working on a speech, especially early on that you are, you're, you're making that educated guess, you're getting in front of some audiences, you're rapidly testing and iterating. And then when you start to get some of the referrals and you feel like that that's starting to accelerate, is that the point that you, you feel like you're onto something Uh, Is it, is it basically an educated guess until then, or are there any signs that we should be looking for uh, up until that point?
2: Yeah. So this is, this is uh, the, the, speech is like the, the, the first time I give a new speech and I'm sure Michael's the same way. You know, when you get to the point at which you're giving a new speech, I, I, I have a good sense that most of it is going to work. Uh, there's, there's some things that I'm not, I'm a little worried about, but I think the key is we live in a digital world where you can share and aerate your ideas as you're developing the speech. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'll share a joke on Instagram and see if he, if it resonates with people. Yeah. Right? It's out of context of the speech, but I want to know, do, do people think it's funny? Does it offend someone? Right, like I want to know that before I get in front of an audience and do it. So the more you think of this, you know, we call it in the book a quest. As it's a journey. Um, and you find ways to test pieces of the speech um, at, at, at any opportunity you can. If you're out to lunch with a friend who's in the same business as you or might be part of your audience... You know, you're you're essentially "quote unquote" trying a bit on that person, right? Like, what do they think? Did it make sense? Did they listen? Um, Did they zone out? Were they like, "I don't get it"? Those are that's valuable feedback. So, by the time you're actually putting it in front of an audience, uh, you're at the point at which you think you've got something that's worth sharing, and now you're trying to to understand is it all landing as one, right? Because you've tried all these pieces on their own is the collective thing working. Um, But this is not the only way to build a speech. You know, Michael has a really comprehensive kind of, you know, seven step uh, process to getting to an actual speech that's ready for an audience. That's much more reliable than I call this the five minute method that gets you, you know, working on small bits at a time to get to something bigger.
1: Right. There's also something that's really important to consider here. Is that, There are certain elements that exist in a referable speech that don't exist in all speeches, even some good speeches. And so it's one thing to, you know, to have an idea about something you want to speak on and putting together an outline for it and then working inside that outline uh, based on your uh, expertise and your institutional knowledge you know, sharing that information. And people might leave go, oh, that was informative. That was good. I I learned something, but it's not referable. It's not going to get people running up to you saying that was amazing. That changed my life. I now see the world in a completely different way. We've got an event uh, in Provo, Utah in six months. I think it's March, you know, 23rd. Are you available? What's your fee? That is a very different type of speech. And one of the things that we spent two years working on was identifying what are the elements that exist in a referable speech that is consistent across the board, not just what do I need to learn about the business, not just, uh, well, I guess I just need more time in front of an audience, not just, well, I think I've got a clever idea, not just, oh, I've got some jokes in my speech, but what is... A referable speech, and what are the elements that exist in a referable speech? And one of the things I think we should address uh, is how the meeting planner sees the speaker. Mm. Because in the book, we broke it down into three parts. The first part is your side of the business, what you need to understand about uh, the business. The second part is the other side of the business, what the meeting planner Uh, needs from their speakers? What is the meeting planner looking for? How do they see the speaker's role? And then finally, uh, a fee formula. So there's a formula that any speaker can use to evaluate exactly where they should be pricing themselves in relation to any other speaker that they may be competing against for a gig or any other speaker that uh, spoke at that conference in the past. And once you understand what that formula is, you can now understand how meeting planners and decision makers are going to evaluate your value in relation to other people that they have access to and can book. And so making sure that A, you understand how the business works, and B, that you have a speech that has the elements of referability built into it, uh, you know, that's what you've got to focus on rather than looking at the business as piecemeal, Uh, and just hoping over time, maybe it'll turn into something referable. But we spent two years to figure out what it is. And we think we've cracked the code. We think we've got the formula for it.
0: Hey, friends, I got a question for you. Considering where you are in your speaking journey, what are your next steps to take your speaking career to the next level? If your answer is, "I, I have no idea, or I have too many ideas, I don't know where to start let me give you what I believe is the best next step that you can take. I want you to book a call with the Speaker Lab team today over at thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach to see if our personalized coaching program is right for you. We have helped literally thousands of speakers from all over the world find and book more speaking gigs and we'd love to see if we could help you as well our personalized coaching program features done for you websites done for you demo videos weekly coaching calls access to all of our educational content we find speaking leads specifically for you and so much more you've got the talent you've got the drive let us give you the plan to execute all you got to do is book your call today by going to thespeakerlab.com slash coach again that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach You've opened the loop there. So we, got, we need to know more. on um, What are some of those, those elements? Because it's it on one hand, it feels like, well, uh, are, are great speakers just naturally getting referrals? Or is there something that is happening either um, subconsciously or consciously, either behind the curtain or on stage or something that we're saying uh, that primes the pump that opens up the door? Because one of the things I think we've all found is sometimes the audience doesn't make the connection that you are available to do this more than just that moment. They assume that like, oh, they, you know, you, you happen, to, this is the one speech that you've ever given in your life. I didn't realize that you were a speaker. This is really, you could come do this for my company. That would be amazing. I, sometimes we have to connect the dots for them. So what does it look like in terms of both the, the speech itself of any elements that need to be in there, but then also, is there anything that we should be doing to prime the pump or kind of seed the audience that, yes, I am, uh, 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 I am available to do this more than just this moment?
2: So, well, I, look, there, are three main fe- there, there, there are three main factors. Um, all right, Grant. So like, I'll just, I'll give you the big ones and then we can dive into the ones you find most interesting. How's that?
0: Deal.
2: All right. All right. So the first one is the fame factor. All right. And like, you can break down fame into three things. Uh, there's worldly fame, there's domain fame, and there's fractal fame. Now we, we'll, we're going to leave that one aside for a minute. We can come back to it if it's really exciting to you and maybe to the, to the audience. Uh, but the second the second piece of the fee factor, F-E-E-E, is entertainment factor, right? Your entertainment factor is unbelievably important. Now, if an audience th- isn't perceiving that this is what you do for a living, I would bet that your entertainment factor is low. Like they, they don't believe that this is your full-time job. Even though you're insightful, you're giving them great advice or insight, you gave them some great tips, tricks, best practices that they should follow, you're still wondering you know, is this their full-time job? Can I actually hire this person? And a lot of that time it comes out if you're talking about your consulting business, my clients, my clients, my clients, they always think, oh, I only hire them as a consultant. I didn't realize that's their business, right? So your entertainment factor, there's a series of sub factors there. One One of the most fascinating ones for me is the signature bit, which Michael can talk about. And then the last E is expertise, OK, so the, the expertise factor is, covers everything from your speaking expertise, meaning like are you actually providing an experience to event, meeting planners, event planners, event organizers and even on stage that makes people believe you are an amazing speaker and that you provide a great experience all the way down to the kind of insight you provide. So like, for example, we realize that some of the best speakers in the business have a contextual model, right? They have Mm -hmm. some thinking that has higher level thinking that is, uh, it's it's easy enough to draw on the back of a napkin, but it's complicated enough to spend all dinner talking about and diving into. Those kinds of contextual models elevate the value in the mind of the event organizer and the audience uh, especially the C-level executives, which is all about kind of addressing the audience hierarchy of needs. So those are the main pieces of the puzzle. Those are the things that add up. Uh, which one of those sounds most interesting to you, and you think you, the audience? Because I think if we dive into one of those, you we'll, we'll get some gold for you.
0: Okay, let me come back to that first. We're gonna I'm gonna put a pin in that. Uh, so one question I'd also have is for an audience who's going does this only work if I'm speaking to an audience of decision makers? Because if I'm speaking to people who I feel like, well, these people don't hire speakers, they don't. And I'm just being devil's advocate here. They don't hire speakers. They're not looking for speakers. That's not who I'm normally speaking to. So how can my speech be referable if the people in the audience aren't looking to make referrals? Well, how would you, uh, what would you say to that? Sure. So
2: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. But, go ahead. <laughs> no, I got all, I got. I got fired up about the audience hierarchy of
1: needs. Yeah, I was going to talk about the same thing. You go ahead, Andrew. Okay. All
2: right. No, uh, this is a very common um, perception in the mind. I think of of the 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 speaker. Like we're worried that the people in the audience aren't the people we need to reach to get hired, right? But referable speakers, all of the ones that we analyzed in over the eighty-one speakers that we we dove into deep. What we realized is that they actually they actually have content in their reverberable speech that, desi- that is designed to hit every level on the audience hierarchy of needs. So at the top, imagine the pyramid, the food pyramid, right? Like, you know what that looks like. At the very top, you have C-level executives, right? And then right below them, you have like vice presidents and that, that next tier of management. Then below that, you have kind of like direct line management. Then you have practitioners at the bottom. And at the practitioners at the bottom, a lot of speakers overemphasize on. We need practical takeaways, actionable tips and tricks, best practices, right? Those people love that stuff. But it's the truth is, even if there's only one executive in the back of the room who's just popping their head into a breakout session to see if this is interesting or not, they need a different kind of content. They need how to think content, whereas the practitioner needs like how-to content. And then the two tiers in the middle are really important. We can talk about those. But you, be, the, the bottom line is, your, the, your referable speech has to address every one of the tiers of the audience hierarchy of needs to ensure that at every opportunity, even if it's only one person in the room, that person becomes a stage side lead before or by the time you get off stage.
0: Well, one thing that uh, I think we've all found to be true in the speaking industry is you never know who's in the audience. You never have any idea. I, I remember like one of my first big breaks, I spoke at this small little, uh, little tiny conference in Oklahoma and I uh, didn't really think much of it. They only paid me a little bit of money and I think it probably broke even with travel. But the, uh, I remember afterwards, the a lady came up to me and she was the wife of the national director of that association. And like, I, you know, that's not who I was speaking to, had no clue that she was even there. But again, I think it's a reminder that your speech can be referable because Anybody can be in your audience at any given time and you have no clue who that could be.
1: Well, because think about the different people that are at an event. You certainly have the audience and you may have many different uh, types of professionals in that audience. You have the AV crew who works Mm -hmm. hundreds of events a year and knows lots of meeting planners and event directors. You have other speakers who also are working regularly, who know other meeting planners and decision makers. Um, and then, of course, you have the meeting planners uh, and the rest of the crew who are producing the event. So these are all potential referral partners. And look, if you don't think that the you know uh, this this concept of generating stage side leads and being a referable speaker is important, uh, it's might be might be helpful to note that in 2020, Speak Inc, uh, a big speakers bureau, mm-hmm. did a survey, uh, and uh, they surveyed meeting organizers. To find out how they select their speakers, and no matter how you slice the data, the top three ways that meeting planners book their speakers—should we start with the third? Well, let's, let's start at the bottom of the list. The third—maybe you guys want to do the drum roll for me. The third—the third way, or the number three way that, uh, that that meeting planners book their speakers, guys. Drum roll.
0: Throw that into post production.
1: Word yeah. <laughs> from other people in the organization who are not meeting professionals. The second, the second way, number two, drum roll, please. Word of mouth from other meeting professionals. And the number one way that meeting planners book their speakers is asking another meeting planner for the best keynoters that they've hired in the last two years. So if these are the top three ways that meeting planners are booking speakers, I think we should probably just stop sending direct outreach emails that say, hey, listen, I think I'd be really great for your event um, because I've been really working on this idea for a long time and it's going to be fabulous. You're going to love it. But we interviewed a very, very uh, experienced meeting planner. She's been in the business for over 20 years and does events for 65 to 65,000 people. Uh, and when we asked her, how do you book your, your speaker? She said, well, there are four categories of keynoters. For That I pull from. Now, it's important to mention that there's a big difference between a keynoter, a breakout session leader, and a workshop facilitator. And meeting planners look at the value that those people bring in different ways. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we know that in a workshop, your job is to facilitate working on something specific in that moment. You're going to teach them something, then they're going to do something in the room. In a breakout session, you're generally there to deliver lots of how-to information best practices, tips, tricks on how to do what you want to do right now. But then the keynoter, the keynoter is there to share how to think speeches, to change the way the audience feels, the way they think, and ultimately what they do. And so when a meeting planner is booking their anchor speakers for a conference, let's say a two-day conference, they're going to book a morning keynoter and an afternoon keynoter. And so the first category that they're going to pull from, of course, it's always going to be budget dependent, but the first category is the athlete, actor, and astronaut category. This is the Serena Williams, the Mark Kelly, and uh, Will Smith. None of us are in that category, nor will we ever be in that category. I I might have been an actor 25 years ago, but again, starring on Sex and the City, a recurring role on Third Watch is not going to get me picked for that spot. So that's out. For most of us and pretty much everybody who's listening right now.
2: The second, the second tier is the A-list alternates. All right. Now, the the A-list alternates are those people when you when you hear their name, you don't necessarily know who they are, Grant, but when you hear the like four to six words after that person's name, you're like, oh, that's who it is. So like it it might be like Ken Jennings, Mm -hmm. right? jeopardy the winningest contestant on jeopardy there you go you're like oh i know that guy but, uh, I didn't, but what about when,
1: when we first when andrew first mentioned ken jennings i was like who's ken jennings <laughs> I was
2: like, he's the, the guy who won he's all those jeopardy. jeopardy and i
1: said oh of course now i know who he is yeah or yancey strickler you guys know him i do of course because i, I wrote the book with you but you know <laughs>
2: he's the he's the he's the guy who founded uh kickstarter Right. Nah. So you're like, Oh, that guy, that sounds interesting. The A-list alternates are like, are those people that you're like, that sounds fascinating. I want to hear that speech. I, that, that person is interesting to me. Right? right. It's also people who climbed Everest or the people who won on the biggest loser. Like we don't know those people's names, but when we hear what they've done, we're impressed and excited and interested. Okay. So that's the A-list alternates.
1: Maybe a few of us will fall into that category, but probably most of us won't either. So that slot is out. The third category uh, that meeting planners pull from when they're booking their anchor speakers is the industry icon, the industry icon. Now, uh, the CEO of Domino's Pizza would be an industry icon in that industry but I don't know who that person is because I'm really uninterested in fast food restaurants. But if I worked in fast food, if I was a vice president of, you know, of information technology at another uh, Domino at another fast food chain, I'd say, Oh, I got to listen to this. What what are they doing over at Domino's? This is going to be interesting. So industry icons are the third category uh, of speaker that meeting planners pull from for specific industries. They're like the, astronaut the athletes astronauts and actors for a very specific category uh they're not going to get paid as much but they still get paid very well most of us are not going to fall into that category either so this is getting very demoralizing (laughs) there is one category that andrew has dominated for years that you grant have dominated for years that i have done quite well in over the years And the best working professional speakers fall into this category. And it is this category that every single person who is listening to can excel in, but they have to know how to do it. So the fourth category is.
0: Uh, You're going to have to pick up the book to see that. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I'm kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell us what what is is it doing that to you? The fourth
2: category is the surprise and delight speaker. All right. Now, like this is this is really key because uh, when we talked to Carol, essentially this is the event organizer that really kind of illuminated these four categories and helped us validate the way other, uh, you know, people think Carol basically said, look, like I, you, you know, I spoke at a convenience store uh, conference once for Carol. It was all convenience store owners and executives. Right. Uh, and she was like, we need them to come to the ballroom at eight in the morning. And so guess what? We're going to be- book someone from that first category, the athletes, astronauts, and actors. Right. So they book magic Johnson and what they do is they, 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 put, they, they know that people are there to see Magic Johnson. He tells great stories. He's very entertaining. People love to see him, right? But there's not much value in the audience to that session, okay? Uh, they put the surprise and delight speaker in right after that, no break, right? So that that speaker comes out and provides a transformational experience and value that was completely unexpected, and people are blown away. That is the slot. That most of us as speakers are going to find ourselves in. And Carol hires lots of these people, just like lots and lots of event organizers. So, when when Michael was just going through that list of the speaking survey referrals, right? If your CEO is sitting in that audience at that restaurant leadership conference, they see Magic Johnson and they're like, that was cool. I've never met him. What great stories. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else comes out and blows them out of the water. That CEO comes back and says, okay. We have our our you know a corporate event at the end of the year. I just saw this amazing speaker. You need this person, right? That's that's exactly how the surprise and delight speaker works.
1: And what happens is people go home after the conference and they go, Oh my God, look at the picture I got with Magic Johnson. Oh my God, it was so cool to meet him. He was so nice. His smile is so big and warm. It was just delightful. But let me tell you something. I saw this speaker, I can't remember his name. It was like Gant, Grant, Dant, I don't know, something like that, bald he was, guy. He was handsome. He was so <laughs> handsome. But let me tell you something, that guy blew me away. We have got to get him in here uh, to, or we got to read his books, or we got to, because let me tell you, he talked about this one particular concept. And in fact, he had a contextual model, meaning this visual that he 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 used. It was so interesting. Let me see if I can draw it for you right now to share this, this really important idea. Now you Now, that's what they're talking about. Right. That, that gets them into a conversation with other people about things that are immediately important and relevant to them. And that's the speaker the meeting planner loves to hire because they can hire them again, again, and again in many different, uh, for many different events. They're cheaper than all three other categories of speakers, but produce even more transformational value. So the first three categories put butts in seats.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We, we cannot compete with that. Even with you know multiple New York Times bestsellers, Wall Street Journal bestsellers, all of that stuff, I can't compete with those people. And in fact, when I started to charge uh, fees that were more competitive with the celebrities, all of a sudden I was not getting the gigs at the same frequency that I was before because you just can't compete with the celebrities. But the, you know Will Smith may get five hundred thousand yeah. dollars, but a surprise and delight speaker will get twenty five thousand dollars, which is a pretty nice. Fee for speaking uh, as a working speaker, and if you're doing that a couple times a week, you've got more money than you know. You know what to do with. So that speaker is the one that the meeting planner loves because they're a professional speaker. They're not a celebrity, so they know how to work as a professional speaker. They understand a client theme call. They understand the sales process. They understand how the contracts work. They know never to put a rider in a contract because it'll screw up the whole deal. Because the lawyers will get a uh, you know get their you know, hair, uh, their panties in a bun because they can't figure out what to do with the weight. They want a countryman, mic. What's a countryman, mic? Is that a person? (laughs) What country is it from? I don't understand. (laughs) So they work like a professional and the meeting planner goes, this is so easy for me. They're reliable. Every single time they deliver, they deliver the same speech, which uh, brings us to the paradox of customization.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, here that's a is good one book.
1: of the biggest myths in the industry. And, and this is when we, when we started looking at all of these speakers who are referable speakers and, and, and studying the data and talking to the meeting planners, we realized that this focus on customization that so many speakers um, uh, make is killing their opportunities. Because think about this. If you customize every speech that you do, how reliable can you deliver that speech? Hmm. Can you deliver it? the same way every single time if every single time you do it differently if every single time you went to do a speech you did a different speech how effective is that speech going to be right it's just it's just not going to be effective so speakers think that oh if i really lean on customization in the sales process Then that that will show, that will have me bring more value to the event than everybody else because they're just doing their usual speech. But what the real meeting planners, the true meeting planners, the experienced meeting planners know is that if you can't produce, if you can't create and deliver a speech that is relevant to that audience, you shouldn't be speaking there at all. Hmm. If you're a professional, you know what works because you've been working on that speech in front of audiences for a long time, uh, developing it, tweaking it, sculpting it, crafting it so that they're hiring an expert who knows what they should be speaking on for that audience. They don't have to change their speech to work for the audience. If you have to change your speech to work for the audience, that means the speech is not currently Hmm. valuable to their audience.
0: Right. Uh, I've got a bunch of follow up questions on that. We're running low on time. I got. We yeah, should we I should have done this longer. Maybe we need to this do. a part This is not two a thirty minute
1: conversation. Brad. I know. This is I know. like a thirty day conversation. It is. It
0: is. We're <laughs> just scratching the surface here. I want to go back to one to the. Uh, the I told you I had to get back to the fee, uh, uh, the fame, entertainment, and expertise. Um, so talk to us real quick, and we'll kind of wrap up with this. Like, how do you find that right balance between being entertaining, where it keeps the audience engaged, that everybody laughs, has a good time, mm. but also you are providing value. You don't want the you don't want the audience, or especially the. immediate, meeting planner leaving going like they were funny, but we didn't get anything from it versus you don't want to give too much where it's like, it was heavy. It was a lot. It was meaty. It was right before lunch. It was right after lunch. Everybody was tired. It wasn't super engaged. Like it was good content, but it wasn't super engaging. How do you find that right balance between entertainment and expertise?
1: Yeah. So let me, let me address one concept that is in the referable speaker uh, that will, uh, will set the stage for us. A speech that is primarily educational content or solely educational content might feel a lot like a college lecture. Mm-hmm. You know, you went to the lecture and you thought, well, that was inf- interesting. I, le- I learned a lot. There was a lot of information, but holy cow, I could barely keep my eyes open. Yep, You got to go get some coffee. All right. So that's, that's a college <laughs> lecture. And that's what a lot of speeches are like from subject matter experts. On the other hand, there's a speech that's only entertainment value. So it's either comedy that has no point of view, and it's just funny, or it's performance art. You know, you see somebody, you know, cover themselves in tar, roll around in feathers, then light themselves on fire, and they're fine. They take a bow and go, that was incredible. I don't know what the hell it was about. It was incredible. So you don't want to be on either side. But a transformational speech is a really nice balance... Of educational content and anyone going to fill it in for me? And anyone know what it is? And <laughs> entertainment, and,
0: entertainment,
1: theatrical experiences. So where when you when you when you bridge this gap between educational content and theatrical elements or theatrical experiences, where they overlap is where that transformational ex- speech ex- exists. So when you look at fee factors. When you look at the fame, entertainment, and, and expertise, uh, you can think about those factors as continuums. So, from an entertainment perspective, you, you know on the on the very very low end of that continuum is the um, is the information educational speaker, and on the on the far end is the transformational speaker, and you're trying to work toward that. There is no one answer about balance, meaning it's not like it's like X amount of content, Y amount of jokes. It just doesn't work that way, unfortunately. But right. there are certain things that if you if you have in place uh, should create an experience that is both educational and theatrical enough to keep them entertained so it's easier for them to consume the ideas. Right, right.
0: And with, with that... Uh, people got to check out the book. There's still so much more we got to cover here, but this is why people need to check out the book. Again, the book is called The Referrable Speaker. Uh, guys, I, I so appreciate the time here. Uh, if people want to find the book, find out more about you guys, where can we go? They can go to
2: referablespeaker.com or just search it for it on Amazon or ask a speaker friend if they've read the book
0: yet. And to me, we were talking a little bit about this beforehand, but this is like this has been very intentional of this isn 't just some concepts, but this is stuff that you guys are living uh, not only with your own speeches and with the, your businesses but with the book itself is we 're not trying to do a um, you know uh, this is one of the few podcast interviews that you guys are are doing intentionally uh, to make sure that like hey let's 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 do a little bit to get the ball rolling, but then let's let the book, the quality of the book, uh, take it from there. And this is a phenomenal book. Highly, highly recommend it. Uh, Again, highly respect both you guys and the work that you do for speakers everywhere. So uh, absolutely would endorse and recommend people check out the referable speaker on Amazon or uh, wherever books are sold. So guys, we really appreciate the time.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you, Grant. Thanks guys.
0: Bye speaker lab friends. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it, helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. And again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. we got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.